this one, too. It is a fastball that he hammers to left center field. It is gone! Jose Altuve finds it. His first hit of the championship series leads the yard. Well, perfect example of what he does. He just generates power. People just are amazed at what he can do. That is his 25th career postseason home run. He's now within four of the all-time record held by Manny Ramirez. Well, there you go, Kevin Barker. Jose Altuve gets a home run. The Houston Astros go on the road down two games to nothing. And they kind of look like the Astros usually look in the postseason. Mm. Beating the Texas Rangers. Uh, surprised at the uh, crowd noise at that game. I, You know, we had been told, uh, Hazel May told us before the game about how well Houston fans travel. And uh, they really do. That, that was... Uh, not it wasn't the overwhelming environment I necessarily expected, but but all that aside, uh I mean the Houston Astros, you know, Jose Altuve stepped up, Jordan Alvarez stepped up, and Kevin, I look at the Texas Rangers, and Marcus Semyon and Corey Seeger, they still haven't done a whole hell of a lot in this series. Yeah, I guess. I mean it, look, it starts with Christian Javier. I mean, your your man crush, which is a big deal, right? When you're trying to to get some good starts and and you know allow your lineup to score first. That's a big deal, right? You go on the road. You you are trying to 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 strike first and and you know trying to get good pitches to hit. Now Tuve, right? It's he gets pull happy. When he gets pull happy, he goes through streaks where he looks like he's not a big leaguer. And I think that's uh that's sort of you know sometimes of of especially when he's facing really good pitching that it looks just like, you know, it's not the right center where if you stay through it a little bit longer, maybe it gives you a chance to pull off a ball and still have success. But, yeah, it sort of starts with him, especially when Tucker's not doing his thing. You know, it looks like uh, they're not afraid, and Dusty's not afraid to move Tucker around in the order to sort of take pressure off him and put the hot hand up. And, you know, you got Brantley, a guy like that you can put in the two-hole who is a competitor even when he's not getting hits. you still got to make quality pitches to get him out. So, yeah, and Alvarez is Alvarez. I, I think that's the thing, right? And if you're the Rangers, why in the heck would you ever, in in I'm talking ever, throw to Alvarez? Like, I don't care who's standing on the on-deck circle. I don't Bases care how loaded. Hot. You don't have much choice. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's a. I think it's one of those situations where that's obvious, right? You make a good pitch, a good hitter beats you, which that's lefty on lefty. You make a good pitch, you get jammed right. a little bit. You know, again, I talk about that length this time of the year. It's a big deal. You're facing elite pitching. The longer that barrel can stay in the hitting zone, the better chances it gives you of having success and helping your team win a game. So, yeah, I think if you're the Rangers, you start there. You don't let that dude beat you. And, again, I think it's about who scores first. Sort mm -hmm. of just burst the other team's bubble when you're trying to play from behind and, and now that manager, you know, when he has the lead, can be aggressive with his pen and, you know, how long a guy's staying in a game and 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 how quickly he goes and, and, and gets him and that kind of thing. And, you know, Max Scherzer, look, I, I, I mean, he could pitch game seven, Jeff. Like, I, yep. I, and I, if you're a Rangers fan, I'm not real sure how happy about that you are. Like, I, well, I, I know, know if... me, me, a baseball fan, I could take him or leave him. I got to be honest yeah. with you. And that's hard for me to say, especially with a, a guy that's had the career that he's had. And, you know, I, I don't want to say he's there with the Clayton Kershaw thing, 
But, man, I mean, the teams that he's been on and some of the stinkers that he's had, especially, again, who cares if he hasn't pitched in a while? When you're talking about a guy that's probably a first ballot Hall of Famer, I think you expect a little bit better than giving up two out, uh, two RBI singles to Martin Malinato, who hit somewhere around 150 with runners in scoring yeah. position this season. Like, make better pitches, right? And give your team a chance. And I just don't think consistently you see that when it matters the most from him. No, uh, but if you're if you're Texas, I mean, look, the, we, you knew this going into the series. You don't have much of a choice. Um, I mean, yeah. this is a team that made the the playoffs with Yavaldi you know, and 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 Scherzer rehabbing at the major league level. They don't have uh, they don't have Jacob Degrom. You really you really don't have much choice. I, that's why I think it's you know it's important that you it's important that you win those games that you have. Uh, you know, you have those two other guys, Jordan Montgomery and Uvalde, Uvalde starting. But uh, 8-5 was the final score for the Houston Astros last night. The series is now 2-1 uh, and one in favor of the Texas Rangers. They'll play again today. The other series, the Diamondbacks and the Phillies, that gets going. That will be a 5:07 Eastern first pitch on Sportsnet. The Astros-Rangers game four is 8:03. Uh, on Sportsnet, 8.03 p.m. Jeff Blum, Astros analyst, will join us uh, in a few minutes to uh, rehash the set, the third game of that series and look ahead to tonight's start. Jose Urquidy against Andrew Heaney. And this is, a, a, again, this is where that Astros, that, that experienced postseason depth really comes through. I was thinking about this yesterday, you know. I don't know how many teams, Kevin, would be able to say that they're going into game three and four of a series where they're down two games to nothing with two dudes who you don't mind giving the ball to in the postseason. You know, even as good as Philadelphia, as Ranger Suarez starts for them tonight, game four, it's kind of, eh. And this just this just gets to me, the, it gets back to me the importance of depth in your starting rotation and why there are times in this series where I do find myself just wondering, what if the Jays were still in this, you know, and you've got a situation where you've got, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know, you're, you've got Chris Bassett going in, in, in game three for you. And, and um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, the, the depth of the Astros starting pitching to me is, is the thing that really kind of, that really stands out here. Everything else aside, and we talked about this yesterday. I know you talked to me about having a man crush, crush on Christian Javier, the dude just comes through in the postseason. I mean, he is money in the postseason. And he doesn't throw a hundred, but he. I, I see. You see why his nickname is the reptile. Like the guy. The, the guy literally doesn't look like he sweats out there in that situation. Yeah, it's a big deal, right? When you're down two nothing, you're going on the road, right? They've had success there. I think they're seven and one now. Uh, you yep. know, in the Rangers park, which, you know, that, that oozes confidence, right? He, you can even hear it in Dusty's voice when he was having his news conference that, you know, we're still going there. Like, don't forget mm -hmm. that, that we're pretty mm -hmm. good on the road and we're especially pretty good in that park with the way they see the baseball. And, and you know, it's just, uh, he knows it, right? If his, if his rotation can give the lineup a chance. Again, I don't want to continue to bring this back around to the Blue Jays, but it's the same way with all these good teams. It's yep. the same way with the Diamondbacks. It's the same way with the Phillies. It's 
the same way with the Rangers, the same way with the Astros. You name any team, it's up to the starting pitcher to give their lineup a chance to have a big inning. You have a big inning, and hopefully, fingers crossed, that that team scores first and just sort of takes the pressure off of everybody and doesn't allow, you know, the manager to screw things up and go to moves and the khakis and, you know, they're making moves that they normally wouldn't make because they're, you know, they didn't game plan against that, Jeff. You know, this guy wasn't supposed to be good. All these things that could go into when your offense is not doing its thing. So, yeah, look, it's, I mean, the, the Astros lineup's really good. Uh, the Rangers lineup's really good. It's just up to the pitching staffs mm-hmm. of both of those teams to control the game. And not saying they're not going to give up solo homers, but that's the point, right? If you're going to give them up, don't walk, guys. Give up the solo home run. You know, for the most part, all of these teams are playing good defense, which is a big deal, right? Yeah. That there's a flow to the game and. When you can throw strike one and, you know, you're efficient and you're not having seven, eight, nine pitch at bats, which sort of kills pitching staffs and and just makes it harder on a bunch of other people around everybody that's trying to get through these games. So, yeah, this game's been pretty clean, but I'm with you. There, There's especially the Phillies and, uh, and especially what the Diamondbacks are trying to do. Can the Diamondbacks pitch? to weaknesses i get it all these starters want to throw to their strengths i just not sure that the strengths that the pitchers have for the diamondbacks will work against the phillies i think they have to try and pitch their weakness right it's obvious you could name a guy and it might be a fastball up like castellanos don't like to slide her away well maybe you have to throw more of those if you have a sweeper maybe you got to throw more of those right sometimes you got to go outside the box and and do things sometimes you don't really want to do. So it's it's intriguing to watch these teams attack each other and, and you know, just try and get through how tough it is to play this time of the year. 416-413-3959. That is the back leg line. Now, we haven't gone to it for a while just because, of course, we've got an hour-long show and, and um, you know, and we uh, we generally have a lot of guests on and people who want to talk to, but uh, want to do that at least once a week. Want to uh, visit the back leg line, 416-413-3959. Please leave your name and location. We'll get to it in a few minutes. You can ask Kevin questions or leave comments about the Jays, baseball in general, what you're seeing in the postseason. You made a uh, terrific point a couple of minutes ago about the defense that we're seeing in the postseason. And I kind of have a theory. It's not really a theory, Kevin, but it, 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 it's something that, and it may have been Jeff Francoeur mentioned this uh, during one of the telecasts, talking about the pitch clock, and you talked about the flow to the game and how he thought it actually contributes to good defense because you literally are, there's not as much downtime. Like you are literally, it's not that you're on edge, but you're more prepared. You think there's something there with that that the pitch clock Absolutely. could be contributing to the good defense? Absolutely. Like we saw Brantley yesterday in the Astros game make a really good play in left center, right? He's an old guy, yep. right? And he just, it's, I think he keeping himself up on his toes on the balls of his feet instead of trying to get flat-footed because he's not paying attention, right? You got to think along, right? If he if he's throwing fastballs by somebody, when will he throw a breaking ball to a righty? Maybe he'll get the head out a little bit more. I got to be up on my toes and anticipate that, and maybe I'll get better chumps and can make a big play and, and make those games. Absolutely. Like, I, the Major League Baseball's absolutely hit a grand slam. 
with this. Like the games, Jeff, are just fun to watch. Yes. Like it's, there's none. I mean, sometimes you'll see some bad umpiring and, and, you know, occasionally you'll see some really bad base running. Even with the four best teams in baseball right now, it's just amazing. Make you scratch your head. But for the most part, because of the adjustments that they've made to just the optics of the way the game is played, the way it looks, the 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 fans, right? You can think along with the game now because you actually want to. You know, this thing yes. ain't going to go five and a half hours, which is kind of cool. And I catch myself doing that a lot. You know, when, wherever I'm watching the game, I catch myself, right? What would I do? How would I attack my bat stand on the on-deck circle? Because I'm engaged. Because mm-hmm. quite frankly, the game's moving along. Like, it's let's go get this thing going and – you don't have to yell at your TV because of how slow it is. So, yeah, absolutely. This is only helping, right? Got to gotta stay ready. You never know when the ball's going to be hit to you. Got to ask you about Josh Young and uh, the postseason that, that he's having. You know, we keep forgetting, as good as Gunnar Henderson's year was, this guy, this guy at one point, well, he would be rookie of the year if it wasn't for Gunnar Henderson, but this guy at one point was even ahead of Gunnar Henderson until he got hurt. You know, we talk about all the money that the Texas Rangers spent on on putting that team together. But, man, oh, man, Jonah Heim, uh, Josh Young, I guess Leody Tavares to a certain degree, Evan Carter. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a core there that was drafted and developed by uh, the Rangers. And, and if you get a chance, there's a couple of stories on Evan Carter. Um, a guy from Now, is Elizabethtown, is that in your neck of the woods? It's far. It's further. It's probably it's further. A, a little over an hour. Yeah, yeah. It's okay, ten, that's but, Tennessee. I, I grew up in Virginia. Okay. There, there's yeah. a couple of real interesting stories on on. Uh, it's not that nobody that that people didn't know about him, but nobody had him. Nobody had him ranked as high as the Rangers did when they plucked him. And one of the reasons yeah. they took him is they thought that he was a guy who was so athletic and had such a high baseball IQ that he'd be able to come up through the system quickly. But I want to talk to you about them because those two young guys to me, Kevin, are, I mean, young is terrific to watch and he is just, he's strong. I mean, some of the, the slow motion footage they showed of him hitting that home run. And I love that. You know, you see all the muscles kind of the tension (laughs) in the muscles when he hits the ball. He's something else, man. I had, I had no idea how good he is. Yeah, I think the the Rangers have figured something out, right? You, your your ownership has to buy into dropping a bunch of money on experience. You can't you can't teach that. You you have to pay for that. Great we're, point. You yep. know, you're sort of going through this right now with the Blue Jays. That you know, are you in or you are not? Aren't you? Like, <laughs> in is the Rangers. That's in, right? You got to dump it, and and so that allows you to be able to sort of develop some younger dudes. You know, drop them in the order, and maybe you'll catch the surprises because they're hanging out with experience. They're hanging out with the Simeons of the world and the Seagers of the world who are elite and have been there and done it before and know how to get there. And as a young player, I was, I went through that, right? I was around Burnett's and Jeff Jenkins and, uh, you know, it was what I wanted to be that I wanted to hang around them all the time. And I think you're sort of, whenever you hear those guys talk, the first sort of couple of sentences is about the experienced guys, about who they talk to and how do you get through this and what's your approaches and do you change things and how do you slow the heartbeat down? And like, it's just, right? It's just because you can't teach it. You have to walk up and actually be around people that have been there and done it before. So, yeah, I mean, they have experience, which is the first thing. You know, when you have talent, then you can sort of mold a 
player into something quicker, right? Now you can speed the process up a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. They don't like a slider? Don't look for a slider. Try and hit a slider with two strikes. Foul it off. So you can tell in those two guys' approaches that you named, like defensively and offensively, it's just they're a step ahead because you can tell they have been around the right experience and they're very athletic and they're smart. So those three things add up to – you know, contributing in the big times of the year, which is right now for the Texas Rangers. But you can see why the Rangers offensively are really good. Like, they buy into take what the pitcher gives you. Don't take the big daddy hack. Don't try and hit the three-run homer with nobody on base. If he throws me an elevated sinker away, take a single to right, pass the baton that way. So it's kind of nice to watch nine dudes try and do that. Yeah, they are uh, they are the very definition of a deep lineup. Four one six four one three three nine five nine. I'm going to go to the back leg line in a minute. Just very quick question about the Phillies and the Diamondbacks. Again, that series resumes today, or should say tonight, at Citizens Bank Park in uh, in in Arizona. Um, you mentioned the importance of scoring first. Now oh. that. It, that I would think if you're the Diamondbacks, it, it, it's important, but if you're the Diamondbacks, maybe more than any other team in this postseason right now, there's four of them left, but maybe more than any other team, you you really, a, a run in the first inning, a couple of runs in the first inning, yes, it's Ranger Suarez, he's awfully good, but that's um, I think that's almost vital tonight, or you could be, I mean, you that series smells like a sweep to me, this other series doesn't, never did smell like a sweep, but that Diamondbacks Philly series, that's setting up to be a sweep, I think. They got, they got to score a couple of runs early. You would think so, right? Especially Brandon Fuller on the mound. And, and you know, again, this gets back to that pitching to the weakness. He got a little giddy up on the hater. It's not 99, mm-hmm. it's 93, 94. But the Phillies destroy that. And the lefties in that order, right? You can get them out with sweepers and change-ups, sort of being or trying to be unpredictable. Can Brandon do that early on? Can he get through the first couple innings? That that Because they just smother you, the Phillies lineup do, because of how long they are and how many home runs they are hitting and how they annihilate fastballs and kill mistakes and – they always seem to be in an athletic position. I talk about that all the time mm-hmm. as an offensive player. You got to get the foot down early to catch up the velocity, which will allow you to hit the stinker. That's what that does, right? It gives you that. It's it's sort of like that George Springer thing. When Springer's going well, you can actually on TV see the pause. Foot will hit the ground, and then I go. It's not foot, hands come with my foot, and then I'm out and around. It looks like I'm cheating. I'm hitting a little pop-up to right. It's that thing, right? And can Brandon sort of attack early on at least the weaknesses and maybe pitch backwards a little bit because he does have a really good sweeper. He does have a really good changeup, but he does have a lot of confidence in the hater, and you know, Philly's like eating haters for breakfast. So I, it's... I'm with you. Screams that. And I hope Tori Lovello says enough. Gloves off. You still bases. You get on first. Let's let it eat. Yep. Like, let's go. I'm with I mean, you. it's time. You're you down completely. two nothing. Okay. At this point, what difference is you're playing at home? This is why you got here. Use it. Let's go. Open it up. Yeah, you've got to. I mean, one of the things you really do, you, you have to force the other team to make some decisions. No question. Yeah, that sounds. That sounds. Dumb, but I think in the postseason it's true. You got to force the other team to think. The Phillies aren't thinking right now. They don't have to. No. Uh, hey, we haven't gone through the back leg line for a while. I'm almost afraid because I don't know what's on it. But I trust Lance Kennedy, who's in the office. He's curated the best calls 
such as Josh from BC. Hey, this is Josh from BC. So there are a number of players that have expiring contracts. Uh, of these players, which ones would you keep if you had to keep two of them? Would you keep Kiermaier, Merrifield? I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna throw Kirk in there. I know he's not a free agent, but I'm just gonna throw him in there. Uh, or would you keep Chapman? So Kiermaier, Merrifield, Chapman, and Kirk. You have to keep two of them, or you could keep two of them. Which ones? Uh, which ones would you keep? All right, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Uh, Alejandro Kirk, by the way, Gold Glove finalist, one of five Blue Jays. Yeah, he ain't going to finalist. Well, yeah, he, he ain't going. And I'm not entirely certain that you'd be selling high on on our on old Alejandro right now. Nailed that. Uh, honestly, I don't care if any of them are back. I mean, Chapman I can't for put... sure is not coming back. Yeah, we know I... that. Wits for sure not coming back. Yeah. And Kiermaier, right? Four in April. He'd be yeah. thirty-four in April. You bringing him back? I have a talk with him. He's I I. I have a chat with him. I yeah, have a chat me. with him. But not I mean, me. I, but he, I, you, you said this three months ago when we started talking about this, and your point is well made. I can't. I'm okay with having a discussion with Kevin Kiermeyer, providing it doesn't prevent me from doing what I need to do to make my lineup better. In other words, I need. It, it, if I get Kevin Kiermeyer, and that's going to take away the possibility of adding somebody who can hit in the middle of the order. I don't want to do it. I don't think it will because I'm not entirely certain it would take that much money to sign him. But none of those guys are on my priority list. None of them are on my priority list. Kirk, I mean, yeah, he'll he'll probably come back because I don't think you can trade him. Nope. But uh, other than that, uh, yeah, I, I, it, you gotta you got to move on. Like the, the one thing... The one thing I think Mark and Ross realize is you cannot run it back. Like, I've, I've heard a lot of people write, write and say, well, you know, there's really – it doesn't sound as if there's going to be a lot of change to this team. Yeah, I'm sorry. There, there, there has to be. be a lot of yeah. change to this team. Because yeah. guess what? The core hasn't done jack. The core hasn't done jack. So I, I, I've said this all along, and I, I just think everything's on the table, man. But, again, of those four – uh, you know, if I could get something for for Kirk, I would certainly have that discussion. Uh, but uh, other than that, I, you know, if Kiermaier wants to come back and and cut me a little, uh, and, and cut me a, a, a little bit of a hometown discount, which he wouldn't do, I sure wouldn't do if I was him. But that's the only guy that I'm interested in having. Back yeah, don't forget three. Don't don't forget now. Dalton Varsho, Dalton Varsho will be way cheaper. He can play center. Yeah, and and I, I'm going. I might need three bats. Have you saw? Have you seen the four teams that are in the the playoffs right now? My point exactly. You might need three bats. I mean, I'm not talking about Kevin Barker bats. I'm ta- I'm talking about a dude and maybe two that are you know yes. have the door squeaked open a little bit to be dudes. Like yeah. you're going to need some guys that can use the entire field. That a guy that can hit cleanup. I'm 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 okay with Dalton Varsho because he'll be playing hitting ninth, uh, playing center. And maybe he'll run into 20. Maybe he's figured something out, you know, working with Donnie Baseball at the end of the season. Why did I laugh? It's not funny. I don't know. <laughs> but the other guys, Chapman's not coming back. I mean, the elevated fastball thing, and and you ain't giving him what his agent's going to want him to get. Uh, the Kirk thing, he's coming back because Khaki's going to love him. And, and they just don't have – 
depth at that anymore. They just don't have it, right? So oh, if only they hadn't traded Gabriel Moreno. As <laughs> I said, I said that all along. You did. I told you, you did say that. that deal was going to come. Jesus. Uh, Alejandro Kirk, by the way, one of five Blue Jays finalists for there Gold go. Glove. Jose Barrios, Dalton Varsho, Kevin Kiermeyer, and Matt Chapman uh, are the other finalists. Josh. No, I got Josh from BC. Let's stay in BC. Let's go with Mike from Victoria. Hi, Mike and Victoria here. The, the Blue Jays have a lot of work to do. They've got a lot of work to do to win back people like me, who, I mean, looking back at this season, it was kind of a waste of my time. You know, I watched every minute of every inning, and I don't remember anything great happening. I don't remember even a single play that was awesome. Wow. Oh, come you know? on. So, Rotation I mean, if cool. I was a person spending money and going down to the park and, like, really laying out cash to watch the Blue Jays, I'd feel ripped off. I mean, wow. ripped off and then some. So, yeah, he, he, they have a lot of work to do. They have a lot of work to do for the fans. And if the Blue Jays don't produce next season, I don't know what the point of watching them would be. <laughs> uh Thanks very much. You guys are doing a great show. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Man. man, oh, man. I don't even know where keep to start. Mike, keep Mike away from the <laughs> sharp objects, please. Oh, I can remember a, one play. Uh, I mean, I can think of at least three off the top of my head. Um, Mike's point, though, is, uh, well, I mean, look, we've talked about this. The TV ratings are tremendous. Attendance is yeah. good. I that's probably why nobody got fired, quite frankly, is because yeah. everybody was watching the baseball team. Yeah, and I and I think yeah, you know, I'm reasonably certain that attendance will be that attendance will be fine next year. But absolutely, uh, I I've, I've I made this point. You know, you you if you look at the arc of Blue Jays history and and. 92 and 93, and I understand there was a whole bunch of stuff that happened before 92 and 93, but I'm, I'm talking about the 90s in particular. You know, the back-to-back World Series wins. Then kind of that, that in-between where I'm sure 90% of Blue Jays fans under the age of 35 are convinced that nothing good happened from 93 to 2015. There was a lot of good baseball. There were a lot of great players in there, yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera. But 2015 is when you started to regain, sorry, 2014 really is when you started to regain the attention of the younger fan base. That's when going to the Rogers Center, that's when it became a place to be again. Uh, you know, Everybody talked about the atmosphere during those playoff games. The TV ratings spiked. Uh, Jose Batista became a big thing nationally. You think about that. That sort of move to get him in the all-star game. All of this stuff got people's attention, brought people back. And you can't bring people back to your product, get them excited, and then disappoint them three years in a row without doing something to excite them again. This is why I get back to this whole thing about um, bringing the core of this team back. I mean, I can't put this any other way, Kevin. I think you have to do something in the offseason to excite fans. You know what Absolutely. isn't going to work? You know what isn't going to work anymore? Trust me. That's not going to work anymore. <laughs> Trust no. us. We know what we're doing. Well, apparently you may not. So that's not going to work anymore. Uh, and the process. And the process. Yeah. And I don't know, yeah, pretend yeah. To know, 
I don't pretend to know if there's an if there's one person out there that's an answer to that question. Uh, you know, we Shohei Otani, we can dream on Shohei Otani, but you gotta you have to do something. You have to do something beyond simply bringing back most of the team that actually won fewer games in the regular season this year than it did last year. Like, and, and even with the strides this rotation made, that was yeah. not a step forward. 2023 was not a step forward for this organization. It wasn't. It, no. it, it, it wasn't. No. Uh, your two best players, one of them became a worse player. The other guy had a good year, but he kind of held water. I mean, if I told you that Bo Bichette was going to finish with those numbers at the start of the year, you would have gone, yeah, okay. I can yeah. see that. Mm-hmm. So that that's, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not as down on it as, as Mike is necessarily, but, Kevin, <laughs> we've talked about this a lot for the past week or so. I watched these teams, and oh, I do find man. myself thinking, uh, okay, where's... How did the Jays match up against them in terms of the lineup? Pitching, I'm fine with. But even, you know, watching Houston's bullpen, I'm scratching my head going, where are the Jays' Brian Abreu? Yeah. You know? Yeah, the the Jays told us at the end of the season they got like four seventh-inning guys down there. Exactly. They, they got a, they got an eighth and ninth inning guy. So now all of a sudden to think you're going to be in, thrown into the mix with all the elite off the, uh, teams and try and win a World Series with three or four seventh inning guys and you don't have a cleanup hitter either. Right? The starting with the Vladdy, fix the Vladdy thing, and then you have to figure out where your cleanup hitter is. Maybe those two things go hand in hand and maybe make some adjustments with your communication and who's giving the information to your hitters. I mean, start there. I mean, I'm, I'm on the outside looking in, and just by the people that I've talked to, I can tell you that. <laughs> like, doesn't I and I'm not the khaki giving the information. So, nope. yeah. Uh, Jeff Blum is a Houston Astros analyst. The Astros, back in the series, I don't think they were ever really out of the series, but back in the series with an 8-5 win last night, they looked an awful lot like the Astros we've, used, we've, we've come to, to know and love in the postseason. Jose Altuve hitting home runs, Jordan Alvarez driving runs in, and uh, Christian Javier in the bullpen limiting the damage. Game four of that series goes today. Game three of the other series resumes today as well. Jeff Blum, the Astros analyst, joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Five was the final score last night. The Houston Astros taking game three of the best of seven ALCS. Game four goes tonight at 8.03 Eastern on Sportsnet. Jeff Blum is the Astros TV analyst, former World Series champion, one of our favorites, one of our regulars, joins us in Blair and Barker. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, it's nice to talk to you for our, our usual postseason. I think we have you on two or three times every postseason because you, like the Astros, are pretty much part of the furniture when it comes to the, uh, when it comes to the playoffs. Um, Kevin and I were talking yesterday, and we both agreed at the start of the show 
that down two games to nothing, going to Texas with Christian Javier on the mound, that Houston had Texas. They had them exactly where they wanted them, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That's how, we've been on often enough that you guys understand as well as I do that the Astros at home uh, were sub-500, yet they still won the American League Western Division, yet they're still going back to their seventh straight ALCS, and yet they were down 0-2. There was really no panic in that clubhouse and it's amazing. I think it's even, you know, it's even filtered into those guys in the in the clubhouse where they expect to win on the road, which is amazing to me because, you know, if you've been hearing Dusty Baker talk about it, he's always said, you know, hey, fellas, uh, you know, the idea is always to, you know, play 500 baseball on the road, crush at home, yet the Astros are the exact opposite. And it doesn't make any sense because it's not only it's not their own ballpark, everybody hates them on the road. So they get booed incessantly on the road, yet they perform in those environments. It's pretty wild to watch. Jeff, is is Kyle Tucker close? Yes. And you know what, Bark? It's it's interesting because he he's very good against the Rangers. He's very good in Arlington in the, the regular season. And I thought it was interesting that Dusty moved him down in the lineup into that sixth spot because – you all of a sudden had Mauricio Dubon hitting behind him, and that might have been a stroke of genius on the on the part of Dusty Baker, knowing that maybe the way the Rangers were going to approach Tucker with Dubon hitting behind him was to be very careful. They understand he's been very good in Arlington, so they were very careful with him. And you know as well as I do as a hitter that anything positive is going to make you a better hitter. And going through the struggles he's been going through, Showing up in Arlington and getting you know three walks, seeing a lot of pitches, I think allowed him to get his timing down. The foot started to get down on time. He was laying off pitches on the edges, able to get those walks. And then we saw in that last at bat, he squared up a baseball and hit it you know off the right field wall. So hopefully, those things are trending in the right direction. So I think that he is he's in the right spot being in Arlington, and I think seeing a lot of pitches allowed him to kind of get a little more comfortable in the box, and hopefully that leads to big things. Uh, Andrew Haney, uh, four-seam slider guys, you well know. What what do you think should be the approach, one through nine, against the order? It can't all be the same approach, right? If I don't like velocity, why would I go up and look for a fastball? But he throws enough of the sliders for called strikes that you got to respect that. Is there one certain approach that would make sense, one through nine, for the Astros? Yeah, I think you're right in the sense that it does take a little, you know, there is going to be some individuality and there's a great deal of experience against Andrew Heaney because he's pitched in the American League West for a while with the the, uh, Los Angeles Angels and now with the Texas Rangers. So there is that familiarity and that kind of that book that we always talk about where you kind of have that mental Rolodex of how have my at-bats gone in the past against Andrew Heaney? So what can I get ready for or what adjustment might he make? And, you know, knowing that, I think as a team as a whole, what we saw last night should be the approach again tonight because what the Astros did against Max Scherzer is kind of when they're doing well is they're seeing a lot of pitches, they're working counts, they're fighting off pitches on the edges, and they're taking their walks, and they're hitting some tough pitches, but also hitting mistakes out over the plate. And I think if you're able to wear down Heaney enough by laying off some of those pitches and not chasing, it forces him in the zone. And you know, when you start to get those sliders in the zone, they're much more hittable. And if he's not trying to hit the edges with his fastball, they start to leak out over the plate, and that's when you can do some serious damage. So I'd like to see the Astros be a little more patient, but at the same time, it can be that selective aggressiveness. If I'm sitting on first-pitch fastball or first-pitch slider and it's in the zone, go ahead and let it rip. 
Yep. You know, when I look at all the teams that are still left in the postseason, well, there's four of them still left in the postseason, and I see Christian Javier going in game three, Jose Urquidy going in game four. Now, I know that the Phil- Philadelphia Phillies have Ranger Suarez going in game three. He's kind of their version of Christian Javier. But I sometimes I think that we we really underestimate the importance of that of that deep rotation in the postseason, don't we? Because we, we think, well, uh, managers are going to go to the bullpen in the third inning. They're going to be aggressive, which is true. But, man, it's nice when you run a dude out there to start the game and you, you, you run him out there thinking, this guy may give me five tonight, right? That's just got to, for Dusty, that's got to be a huge comfort blanket. Yeah, no, I completely agree on that. And that's kind of something that Dusty brought into the organization when he came over here. You know, he had the luxury of having uh, guys like Justin Verlander, Lance McCullers, Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, Luis Garcia. I mean, the, you know, the names just keep coming out. And even Hunter Brown, who, you know, started in the rotation this season and, and, and pitched throughout the course of the season, even J.P. France, who did had a great season, the expectation when you pitch for Dusty Baker is that I'm going to give him – He's going to let me go out there and find a way to get through six because it makes the bullpen better when you're able to back them up and use them a little more appropriately and conservatively and key moments so you can actually use them in leverage situations. So I think it's kind of that mentality that leads off with Justin Verlander because we've seen him plenty throughout the course of his career with the Astros. You know, the first inning, you know, two or three runs, and all of a sudden he settles down and he's able to give you six innings. So he kind of sets the tone for that rotation, which I kind of like, and guys feed off that. But uh, I really give Dusty Baker a lot of credit for actually, you know, instilling that old-school mentality of going out there, giving me five to six innings, and then we'll go to our bullpen and shut things down one inning at a time where he can really kind of manipulate, you know, matchups and things like that. This isn't the 2015, you know, two, what was it, 2015 Kansas City Royals where, you know, they were just trying to get five innings out of their starters and then just blow out their bullpen to finish games off. Mm-hmm. Jeff, you know what? If I, if I ask 10 probably baseball fans and I said, tell me who the closer is for the Houston Astros, how many people do you think would know <laughs> that it's Ryan Presley? Like, and then you watch him oh. throw. I saw he's 14 out of 14 in the playoffs or something in save situations. He's not a hard thrower. I mean, he's got stuff, right? He's stuffing people to death. And But, again, I just nobody ever talks about him. It really is amazing what he does in the playoffs. No, I'm completely with you. I, you know, we talked uh, here in Houston, we talked about it on one of our shows that, you know, 14 of 14 saves in the postseason is remarkable. When you start to say things like that, you start to, uh, you know, bring up names like Mariano Rivera, you know, and that's what, that's what he is embarking on is trying to compare numbers to what Mariano Rivera was able to do or a Kenley Jansen. But it's, it's remarkable, like you said, because he doesn't do it in dramatic fashion. He doesn't do it with a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. He doesn't do it with a 95-mile-an-hour slider. Or, you know, uh, uh, Johan Duran, a 98-mile-an-hour split-fingered fastball. Yeah. He goes out there, he pitches at 95 with his fastball. He's able to move it in and out. But he does such a good job of creating sequences that you can almost anticipate what he's going to give you. Yet at the same time, it's tough to lay back and fight off some of those pitches because, uh, you know, the idea of tunneling all three, four pitches come out of the same spot. Uh, the, the slider comes out of the hand nasty. It looks like a fastball about three-quarters of the way to the plate before it breaks down and in and creates some funky swings. And then once you think you've dialed in the 90 to 95 with the hard slider and the fastball, 
he breaks out this curveball at 80 to 83 miles an hour, and it just kind of spins in front of the plate, enticing you to go after it. And once you start your swing, it's breaking down out of the zone, and Maldonado's blocking it. So he, he's done a good job of sequencing, setting up those pitches, and having confidence in all three of them. That's what makes him very good. Jeff, how do the Astros fix Framber Valdez's sinker? Woo. Man, uh, th- that, that's a great question. And, you know, when you figure that out, make sure you call me because uh, it's kind of been an ongoing <laughs> – trust me. I mean, I've sat here, watched, watched him pitch throughout the season. I'm going, why can't he be like he was in 2022 yeah. when he set, you know, the consecutive quality start streak that he was on? And, you know, this season's been different in the sense that I've got a couple of theories, you know, and, and, you know, they could be crackpot theories. I have no idea. But, you know, he's throwing a little bit harder this season. So he's pitched at 95 to 97. And that means that there's less time for that baseball to use that sink to create the soft contact and move away from the barrel. So he's got good arm side run. But, again, at 95 on the same plane, hitters are going to be able to figure that out because they'll anticipate – you know, instead of being on a, you know, a three-dimensional plane, it's on a two-dimensional. And all I got to guess is velocity and, you know, that plane it's going to move on and it's going away from me as a right-handed hitter so I can stay on it. Um, and at the same time, he's really developed this. It's a good cutter, but I think with him getting on the side of the baseball and throwing his cutter the way he does has kind of eliminated the release on that two-seam fastball to create some of that depth down in the zone to get the ground ball. And that's kind of where I'm at with him is that that sinker's just flat. It doesn't have that, uh, that depth to it that guys top into the ground and create ground balls. Jeff, when did Dusty become, or, or, or when did Dusty d- develop or discover the amount of faith he has in Maurizio Dubon? Cause he's a guy yeah. we don't talk about and man, he keeps popping up at, you know, every Astros game I watch, I, I find myself thinking, oh, that guy did something again. Like, it doesn't, it's not always a game changer, but he did something again. You know what's amazing? It's just a couple of things. You know, you go back to 2015 and 2017, the Astros had Marwin Gonzalez, and they used him in left field, but he's a better infielder. So they, they've been able to have guys like Marwin Gonzalez, Aledmus Diaz, and now it's Mauricio Dubon's opportunity to go out there and be that super utility for the Astros. But you're right in the sense that Dusty's really created a lot of trust in him. He's able to use him in center field, left field, shortstop, second base. He's been everywhere. And he's kind of, you know, defensively, he's, he's going to win a gold glove this year. He's been nominated for second base and in that utility role. May not win it at second base, but I think that kind of gives him the gold glove and the utility spot. But it's been as bad that has actually put him into that lineup. I think the consistency of the at-bat, he doesn't swing and miss. He doesn't strike out. He puts the ball in play. He knows how to play the team game. And uh, he's developed a swing that just kind of slashes fastballs the other way, not trying to do too much. And if you flip a curveball or a slider in there and make a mistake in the zone, he's going to pull it to left field. He's got an unbelievable approach, but he's got this athleticism and this mindset of how do, I, how, how do my at-bats help the team and that's what's made him valuable, and I think that's what's entrusted him to Dusty Baker is that he's going to do and, and make the cerebral play to help the team win. Jeff, you know who's pitching both sides. You know basically what both lineups mm-hmm. are looking like early on in today's game. What are you looking for? Um, I'm looking for the Astros to score early. They, they are such a better team, obviously, on the road, but when they score first, they usually have a tendency to settle in and kind of, 
and, and, and pile on a little bit. You know, last night was a very, very similar to what they've done throughout the course of the season. But for whatever reason, if they're able to go out and score first and score often, they have a tendency to win. And I think it, uh, it's paramount in some of these games later in this series against the Texas Rangers because the Rangers can go out and thump you to death. They didn't. They had a terrible game offensively yesterday, yet they still put up five runs. And that's what kind of makes me worried about the, the Texas Rangers because they have the ability to come out there and put up big runs and have big innings and come back in games. That's why I'd like to see the Astros be very aggressive against Andrew Heaney early on. Like I said, take the walk, the hit by pitch, push the ball the other way, uh, find ways to get on base and create traffic. So if you do get that big swing, you're driving in two, you're driving in three runs with a home run, something like that to really kind of put the Rangers on their heels and force them to fight back in that game. And at the same time, Jose Urquini has got to go out there and throw strikes. If he gets wild out of the zone and starts pitching at a hitter's count, that's not going to be good for him against this Rangers team that can thump. Yeah. Jeff, we appreciate your time as always, my friend. Uh, enjoy the postseason, safe travels, and, uh, well, I mean, it is the Astros, so we may be talking again. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> no problem. Always appreciate you guys. Good conversation. Thank you. Yeah, Take care. That's Jeff Blum, Astros TV analyst. Uh, that is that that is an interesting point about Jose Urquidy as well. Sometimes I think we forget that the it, it's it's not just walking and 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 not just putting men in the base. It's getting into hitters counts, especially against teams that thump because hitters counts are they they don't always turn into walks. They turn into doubles, right? Right, and and, and that's the thing with Texas is because of the the power in that lineup that uh, hitters count is usually a, something bad's going to happen. Yeah, swing count's a big deal for the pitcher and for the hitter, right? That that's you're you're trying to have educated guessing. Educated guessing is a thing now in 2023, and the way you can do that to, you know, make that as about a hundred percent as you can possibly get it is getting good swing counts. That's oh oh one one two one three one three oh now because you can guess along mm-hmm. and think fastball right to where you can drive that with traffic on the basis so be looking for that today and and again it gets back to that scoring first that's a giant deal in the playoffs just takes pressure off of everybody that matters on the other team in the ballpark and whoever does that most of the time wins the game so be looking for it's that funny too. it's funny what jeff said because uh, i i was about to say this a little earlier in the show it didn't seem like it was eight five it seemed didn't. like it was 10-2. <laughs> it really did. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I, was, I looked at the scoreboard at the end of the game, and I thought, yeah, that didn't feel like an 8-5 game. It really didn't. Yeah, I think it was more for me, Max Scherzer. It wasn't real good, right? I mean, it sort of he looked like the same Max that you see in the playoffs. Martin Maldonado got a big two-out, uh, two-RBI single, right? You rarely see that. And you're thinking when you do see those things, man, it must mm. have been a blowout. Must not, exactly. must not have been close. And then you're actually having to get the closer in the game for the Astros. Like, it's some hairy situations. And that, to Jeff's point, is you got to, when you score, you got to have those add-on runs, right? Keep doing it, keep doing it, and having those quality at-bats and being aggressive in the strike zone. So, yeah, this is, I guess, it's just, this is great. You got the best two teams in the American League going at it. It's a good you thing. Know, I wanted, before we run, I did want to ask you about Jose Abreu and watching him at first base. Uh, yeah. Because, of course, we've seen Vlad. Obviously, we saw Vladdy a lot this year. And I, I watch Abreu at first base, and maybe I'm I'm looking for the wrong thing, Kevin, but I just I just see a guy that's – I mean, he, he's made – he's, he's, 
he's made a number of awkward plays look pretty easy. I mean, even that close play at first base where there was almost the, the collision, yeah. he didn't get a sense there was any panic on, on 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 his part. What do you think of him as a defensive first baseman? Yeah, I think he's okay. I don't think he's seen the elite ca- uh, right. class that, you know, uh, when the ball's hit there or around him or thrown near him, he will make it 99.9% of the time. But I do think he anticipates the bad throw, which is when you're not an elite defender at first mm-hmm. or a elite picker at first, right, where you're picking everything around you, you got to expect the bad throw, which gets you in an athletic position and work from the ground up. That's a giant deal. And I think for the most part, he does that. Sometimes you'll get a little lazy. You know, mm-hmm. he's getting a little older where the knees creak when he has to bend over, right? And you got to force your way down there. And the mindset is think it first, right? Think that the bad throw is coming. And that way, when you get the, the good throw, it's an easy looking like you've done it a bazillion times. So, yeah, this is again. It gets back to that's why you're you're surrounding your team with experience. People can't teach that, right? You got to pay for that. And the Astros are like every other team. They they have to do that in in all parts of the game. So yeah, it's just another guy you want to watch on an everyday basis in the playoffs. So that's it for another day. I'm Blair and Barker. We'll be back tomorrow from 11 to noon Eastern on Sportsnet 590. The fan, again, if you're listening to us via podcast, please leave us a five-star rating. Say nice things about Kevin as well. It does mean a lot to you. It, it does. It makes I, me course, sleep am, good at night. Yeah, I, I, of course, am used to people verbally abusing me, so don't worry about it that much. Enjoy the baseball. <laughs> Enjoy the baseball. We'll be back tomorrow.